there's a city that looks o'er the valley of death, and its glory has never been told. Where the Lamb is the light in the midst of the night, in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never sets, never sets, and the leaves never fade, and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. There will be no more sorrow, pain, sickness, and death, and the saints, they will never grow old. How I long for that city where there never comes a night in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never sets, never sets, and the leaves never fade, and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. Where the sun, where the sun never sets, never sets, and the leaves never fade, and the righteous forever will shine like the stars in that beautiful city of gold. In that beautiful city of gold. Well, amen. That is a, going to be a beautiful city, amen? Streets of gold and, boy, just, I mean, pure glass. That's amazing to think about. Well, let's take our Bible. Turn over the book of Matthew. Matthew today. Matthew chapter 21. This morning, many Christian faiths will celebrate a day they call Palm Sunday today. And again, it is celebrated, it's, it's, it's a celebration of basically kind of an Easter celebration. It's the week before Easter, and it commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at the triumphal entry right here just very quickly, and I want to not talk to you really about that so much, but I want to point out something that I think is very interesting. Years ago, years ago now, I preached a message that I entitled, Moved But Not Changed. And I have, I've named this message the exact same thing. And uh, I just want to talk a little bit about that. I have a, it's a totally different message, but it, it has the same title. I just, that title runs in my head all the time. But uh, I want to look at this uh, for just a moment, and then we'll look at a couple of their biblical examples, make an application, and we'll be done today. But Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, this is a passage dealing with the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ prior to his crucifixion. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, 
Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches from the trees, and strolled them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he was come into, the, into Jerusalem, all of the city was moved, saying, who is, who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now in this particular passage, of course, we are reminded how Christ came into the city. And the Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 12 that they took branches of palm trees and they laid them before the master as he went on his way. That's why it's often referred to as Palm Sunday. But it's interesting as we look at this passage and as we consider the response of the people. I noted in this passage that the Bible says that a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. We understand that that includes these palm tree branches as well. And it says, goes on to say in verse 10, And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Now there are all these people, picture it now, all these people that, that he's riding down the road by and maybe following along with him. All of these Jews that that have heard him speak, and all of these Jews that had watched him come, uh, do all of these unbelievable miracles, here they are now, getting caught up in all of the hoopla, if you will. Here's Jesus, riding on a foal. It's fulfilling the prophecy of old. And here he is, our king, our master, riding into town. He's going to establish the kingdom. It's going to be wonderful. And the Bible says that there was such a... Uh, Tumult, there was so much activity that, that the whole city was moved. Not only were they themselves, the Jews, moved, but there are people in the city. Who is this? What is this all about? It's interesting to me, though, that although these were moved, they would cry, crucify him, not long after. It's amazing to me. Look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 4. I don't know how in the world they got the news out. I don't know how they were able to express to everyone that Jesus would be showing up that day. I don't know if they posted flyers on, on uh, the, the, the uh, walls of buildings. I don't know if the disciples ran through the city and said, Oh, Jesus is coming now. Come on, gather together. I don't know. I don't know if somehow just as Jesus began his way into the city, people started noticing him and started flocking toward him like they had so many other times because Jesus had healed and worked so many miracles that everywhere he went it seemed that multitudes gathered about him. But one way or another, there is a group, a major group, a large group that has gathered. Many of them moved by this entry into the city. And the whole city itself, the Bible describes as being moved because he is making his way in. But notice what it says in John 19, verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, 
Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Pilate had already tried him. They had sought to have his life taken from him. And yet Pilate says, listen, I have, I have interrogated him. I have talked to him. I have listened to him. And I'm telling you, I find no fault in this man. Remember, it was not only but a short time before that they were, oh, hail the king, Hosanna, whoa, here he comes, wow. They were moved, but notice something. They weren't changed. Because the Bible says in verse 6, when the chief priest, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Isn't it interesting? Just days before, just hours before, they're, oh, oh Jesus, Hosanna! Here he comes. Crucify him! Kill him! He's not our king! They were moved but not changed. I want you to turn over to the book of John, would you please? John chapter 18. We see another example of this in the scriptures. Matter of fact, we see it in many places, but I want to just point out a couple before I make the application. But John chapter 18, look at verse 3. Jesus Christ, in this particular case, of course, is still alive, and he's made his way to Gethsemane. We know that he would be betrayed. He would be betrayed by Judas. We know that Judas would bring a band of soldiers. Notice what's happening now here in the garden. Judas then, chapter 18, verse 3 of the book of John. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. I think it's interesting that they came with weapons. The Bible points this out. Isn't that interesting? Does anybody remember anywhere in Scripture where Jesus picked up a sword, where Jesus picked up a, a, any kind of weapon and tried to hurt and harm anyone? You say, well, yeah, but he turned over those temple tables. Uh, yeah, he did, but that was within the temple. That was within the confines of a Jewish temple too, mind you. But here we are now with these Roman soldiers showing up with Judas, and they have weapons. Why? Because he is such a threat. But notice again, it goes on to say, and they showed up there, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Verse 4, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he. They went backward and fell to the ground. Isn't that interesting? I am he. And the moment he said, I am he, they go, whoa, down to the ground. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, the un unbelievable power of the word of God. The ability of the word of God to move mankind. 
these soldiers are moved. But they would still turn him in. And it would be Roman soldiers who would nail him to the cross and part his garments just a few days later. Matthew chapter 27 verse 35 says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. Here they are in a garden. Jesus just says, here, you know, where's this, who are, who are you seeking? I'm, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Whoa, down they go. Moved, but not long after, they're nailing nails in his hands and in his feet. Not long after, they're raising a cross between heaven and earth. Not long later, they're placing Jesus Christ, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us on a cross. They were moved, but not changed. Look, if you would, in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse 24. In Acts chapter 26, Paul the Apostle now, this is after the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's already ascended to be back with the Father. And now the Apostle Paul has lived his life preaching and teaching the resurrected Christ. And now he stands to be condemned or they seek to condemn him for his faithfulness. He stands before Felix and Agrippa. And notice what is said in Acts chapter 26, verse 24. And as he thus spoke or spake for himself, He's giving his testimony of salvation. He's giving his testimony of the work of Christ and how the Lord Jesus is who he claimed to be and how he has transformed the empire. And as he spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He's saying, sound mind. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. 
We have evidence that Agrippa had understood the things of the Old Testament, that he had studied the truths of the Old Testament. Paul had the, uh, uh, the awareness that he knew something about the Jewish faith. And as he began to recite those Old Testament verses, he began to share the reality of Christ's resurrection. He knew that Agrippa had contact with the Jew, and he knew and understood that Agrippa was being moved and motivated by the Holy Spirit, and he could see it in his, his countenance. He could feel it in the room, and he knew that Agrippa understood He was moved, but not changed. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was moved, but not changed. So here's the message. No doubt... You've been moved at some time in your life. Possibly by preaching or teaching the Word of God itself, bringing conviction to your life. Surely the Holy Spirit has prodded and prompted you on a number of occasions. Again, as we said, conviction has gripped your heart more than once. And you've been moved to the point of decision. You knew you must act. You knew you had to say yes or no. You knew That a decision had to be made. The Jewish people were moved by the miracle of Lazarus and the triumphal entry of Jesus. But just a few days later, they cried, crucify him. Yes, they were moved, but not changed. The Roman soldiers fell backward at the voice of Jesus and no doubt would rehearse that scene over and over again throughout their lifetime, in the years of their offspring even. But just days later, they would nail Jesus to the cross and cast lots for his garments. They were moved but not changed. Agrippa was familiar with the Jewish faith and was reminded that the coming of Christ was prophesied and that his sacrifice on Calvary fulfilled the righteous demands of a holy God. But despite the convincing reasoning of the Apostle Paul, Agrippa would not be converted. Yes, he was moved, but not changed. These were all moved, but not changed. You've surely been moved at some point in your life. But have you been changed? You've likely felt the need to be saved from your sin. But have you? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, For I saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The preaching of the word of God goes forth. The teaching of the word of God went forth. Maybe a soul winner at a door, or possibly you even refreshing your memory of the word of God and the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and reminds you of a need of salvation. And you are moved. You know a decision must be made. But are you changed? Did you trust Christ? Did you receive the Lord as your Savior? 
Oh, I came close a number of times, preacher. I've sat in services like this over and over again. And every time I do, I got to admit, man, I hold on to the pew, so to speak, in front of me. I just stand there like a statue. I don't want to move. I'm I'm concerned. I've been moved inwardly, but I will not change my life. I won't allow Christ to regenerate or create in me a new new creature. I'm not going to allow that to happen. You've been moved, but not changed, maybe. That's sad, isn't it? You've you've felt the need to be saved from your sin, but you would not be changed. Maybe you felt the need to surrender your all to the Master. But have you? Oh, you sat out in the auditorium and the message goes forth and maybe it was Brother Moon or some other preacher or myself and possibly it was a Sunday school teacher that was sharing a truth in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit of God said, give your all, surrender it all to Jesus Christ. Don't hold back anything. Oh, you were moved. The scriptures came alive in that moment. The Holy Spirit pricked your heart. And you knew it was real. It wasn't just an emotional outburst. It was literally God speaking to your heart inwardly. And you knew something was different. You were moved. But were you changed? Did you surrender wholly, completely, without reservation? You can't attend church as many years as most of you have. You can't read the Bible as most of you have. You can't allow, have been exposed to the gospel and the word of God and the truth like most of us have and not have been moved. But the question is, have you been changed? Oh, well, I come to church. I didn't ask that. Have you been changed? Well, I pray from time to time. No, have you been moved? Have you given God what he asks for? Have you given your all and surrendered to Christ? Saved. Surrendered. Maybe you have felt the need to serve the Savior. But have you? The preacher or the staff or somebody in a classroom, possibly like a training course that you attended says there's a need and when he speaks or she speaks of the need all of a sudden something inside moves you oh i probably ought to man there's a lot of need here and i just feel like i don't know i just yeah i hear you lord i hear you you're being moved but have you been changed did you say okay lord i'll serve In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. He's talking to the church at Thessalonica, and he's saying to them, Listen, we, we're getting feedback. They're telling us, they're showing us what manner of entering, entering in we had to you. They're letting us know how our investment in your life, our investment in the gospel is paying off. And they're sharing with us how ye turn to God from idols. Well, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? 
Somebody was moved enough to turn from their idol to God. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. That sounds a lot like salvation to me. But that's not where it ends. Because he goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, he says, For they themselves shew of us of what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. God saves no one to sit. God saves all to serve. We turn from our idols to the living God who we have the privilege of serving. In Hebrews 9, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works? What's he saying? Dead works, meaning the things we used to do that had no eternal payoff, that literally would die with us when we closed our eyes and went into the grave, that which, when the world is burned up, will mean nothing in the end. Who purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Again, God doesn't save us to sit. He saves us to serve. How many have been moved by a sermon, a lesson, a passage of Scripture, a piece of godly wisdom? How many have been convicted by the Holy Ghost and convinced of the Word of God, but have either ran from it like Jonah did or slipped away after only a few weeks or months? See, we only have so much time. So much time to get it right. Only so much. As a matter of fact, turn, if you would, over to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90, verse 9. The psalmist reminds us of this truth, this reality of limited time. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 9, we begin reading, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath, we spend our years as a tale that is told. Our lives are like a novel or a book, a story that's being told. The days of our years are threescore and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. In chapter 90, verse 12, just a few verses later, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Number our days. Don't take them for granted. You know how it is. I mean, let's face it, we're all kind of in the same boat. We start the week off. I mean, I, I think to myself, wasn't it just, uh, I mean, I'll say, wasn't it just last Sunday or Saturday we had that storm? And it seems like it was just yesterday. But a whole week has passed. 
I mean, have you ever, you ever been there? You go, you, many of us will be going to uh, the couples retreat here in the month of April. And we'll go to the couples retreat and we'll have been planning and preparing and we'll, we'll, we'll have spent the money and, and made the investment in it all. And then all of a sudden we'll go there and we'll enjoy it and we'll come back home. And then it won't be but a week later we'll go, wow, do you realize that last week at this time we were just like that, it's over. Past. He says, teach us to number our days. Don't take any of them for granted. That we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. See, the wise thing to do is to respond. Yes, be moved. Be moved, absolutely. But by all means, be changed. Whether it's salvation, surrender, or service this morning. Yes, be moved, but be changed. Years ago, my family and I, we would often, we'd, it seemed like every year, go to Niagara Falls. I had mentioned this, I don't know where, it might have been last week even, but we, we, we um, no, it wasn't. It was Tuesday in West Virginia. I was there on a radio program and I mentioned this. Yeah, it was huge. It was across the United States. No, Jesus. But anyway, I remember I was mentioning to them about how we would go to Niagara Falls and they had such good deals in the day. I mean, like 120 bucks. You got two nights in a hotel and you'd get two breakfasts. You like two bre- like breakfast each morning for two of you. It was unbelievable. And so it was like, man, we can't afford not to do this. It's such a good deal. And it's a cheap way to get away. A couple of nights, Niagara Falls, it's awesome. So we'd pack up the kids even and go to Niagara Falls for a couple of days. They were pretty small then. Sometimes my mom would go with us or something. And that was fun. And... Um, I love looking at the falls. I mean, what a sight, right? Isn't that amazing? The falls? I mean, I don't, if you've never been there, it's amazing. And we'd always go on the Canadian side. Uh, you know, and in those days, you didn't need a uh, passport. Uh, you could just go across and come right back. They had no problem with that. But um, it's an amazing sight. Well, I was reading about a spring day at the falls. And the, in the spring, the ice will start to break up and it comes rushing down the river and over the falls. And there's, there are often large blocks of ice that flow toward those falls. And it wasn't unusual. It's not unusual to see these, these uh, carcasses of like dead fish that had frozen in the ice. They were embedded in the ice. And these seagulls or these gulls, we'd call them seagulls, but these gulls by, by, by the score, I mean, hundreds of them would be riding down on, the, uh, the, on, on, on these ice blocks feeding on these fishes. And they'd come right to the brink of the falls, right to the edge, like, or pretty close, and then all of a sudden they'd spread their wings and off they'd go. But this one gall, he, he seemed to linger longer than the rest did. He was kind of engrossed, you know, in that carcass. He just was enjoying it so much. That when it finally came time to get to the brink of the falls, he spread his wings, 
but nothing happened. He kept getting closer and closer. And in a frantic pace, he started flapping his wings. And the ice literally came out of the water with him. But it was too heavy. See, his claws had frozen in the ice. And the weight of that ice was too great, and the gall plummeted to the bottom and just crashed into the bottom. Some of the finest attractions of this world can become deadly when we become overly attached to them. I mean, think about what we're talking about now. We're not just talking about a gall with his feet frozen in a block of ice going to his demise. We're talking about you and I when we allow ourselves to gaze upon the world and get too engrossed with the world. And before we know it, it's too late. It kills us. Oh, the danger of delay. We will sit in services like this or in, in revival services or tent meetings or possibly Sunday school or even in our own devotional time and the Holy Spirit of God will bring conviction. We will be moved. But we procrastinate. We won't deal with that now. It's going to cost us something both in this life and eternity, maybe not even just ourselves, but our loved ones and our family members too. I read a poem that says, Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. Yes, be moved. But by all means, be changed. I wonder, do you know Christ is your Savior? Have you settled your soul's salvation? The Holy Spirit of God may be speaking to you saying, you know what, you need to get that straight. You need to get that settled today. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that the God of heaven recognized that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and therefore Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came and literally took our place on Calvary and paid for our sin. But that penalty is not paid for till we accept the gift by calling on the Lord and inviting Him into our life and accepting what He did as payment for us personally. And the Holy Spirit's going, you need to settle that today. You are moved I beg you to be changed today by accepting Christ as your Savior. By stepping out into the aisle in just a moment and making your way to the front and seeing Brother Kavanaugh or someone at the front and saying, I need Jesus Christ. I've been moved, but I want to be changed. Maybe you see a need for full surrender and the Holy Spirit saying, you've been playing this Christian game a long time and you've only given me the pieces and parts that you are willing to give, but I want your all. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we know the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And today you've been moved. 
you know you need to surrender to him fully, holding nothing back. Surrender today. Come to an old-fashioned altar and get on your face before God and say, I know that I've been a Christian for a long time and I've either taken back what I gave God at one point or I've never totally surrendered at all. But as of today, I am not only moved, I am changed. With God's help, I surrender all. And maybe you failed to serve. Oh, you've begun the process of trying to learn more about the Word and take steps in your Christian life, but you have not yet allowed God to use you personally the way you know He wants you to. You've been moved. You know you should. But you haven't been changed. Today, say, I'm going to serve with your help, Lord. Not only am I moved, I'm going to change with your help. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity that we have, Lord, just to be a part of this service. We know that, Lord, we need you today. More than anyone, we need you. And Father, the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the thoughts of tomorrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Lord, we're asking you, Lord, just to speak to us and work in our lives. We know that without you we can do nothing. But Lord, there may be those that are in our midst today that are without Christ. They do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And Lord, they've been moved. The Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin and showed them a need of their salvation. But Lord... I pray that they'd not only be moved, but they'd be changed by accepting Christ today or allowing someone to show them from the Word of God how to be saved. For the person that's holding back and not fully surrendered, may we make that decision to be fully surrendered for that one who knows they should be serving but has withheld their best from God and says, I I know what I should be doing, but I have not let the Lord do that in my life. Lord, may we just not only be moved, but change today. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.